0: This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. This is Abdul Nasser Jangda. If you enjoy and benefit from listening to our podcast, please donate to Qalam by visiting supportqalam.com. We love being able to share this content for free with you and your donation ensures that we are always able to do so. Each podcast we produce has tens of thousands of listeners. So the opportunity for gaining immense reward by supporting this effort is endless, inshaAllah. You never know who will be able to benefit from your contributions and donations. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa wabarakatuhu. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi Inshallah, continuing with our study of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi the prophetic biography In the last many sessions we've been talking about the farewell pilgrimage Hajjatul al-Wida' of the life of the Prophet sallallahu when he performed the Hajj at the end of his life in the 10th year of Hijrah where we left off previously was the Prophet ﷺ going from Arafat to Muzdalifa in observing the night within Muzdalifa. We talked uh, about extensively about how the Prophet ﷺ spent the night in Muzdalifa, and that is the prophetic prescription that the hujjaj, they spend the night in Muzdalifah. However, the Prophet ﷺ did provide a concession. He did provide an allowance for someone to be able to leave Muzdalifah in the middle of the night and spend a little bit of time there and be able to go to Mina early. And then if need be, that they also had the ability, they were also given permission to be able to uh, do the jamarat, the stoning of the biggest of the three pillars that are stoned at the place of Mina, to do that even before Fajr time came in, to be able to do that during the night. Otherwise, what did the Prophet ﷺ himself do? What was his action? So going back to, the detailed hadith of Jabir radiallahu ta'ala anhu in which he details the entire hajj of the Prophet wasallam, along with of course the narrations that we have in Bukhari and Muslim narrated from many different uh, viewpoints of different companions who were on this hajj, the Hajjatul Wida. They say, فصل فصل The Prophet waited until Fajr time came in. Once Fajr time came in, the Prophet asked Bilal رضي الله تعالى عنه to call the Adhan after which the lines were basically made for the prayer. He asked Bilal to call the Iqama. This is all at the place of Muzdalifah. And then they prayed Salatul Fajr there. After they prayed Salatul Fajr at the place of Muzdalifah, the narration says, ثُمَّ رَكِبَ الْقَسْوَىٰ The Prophet ﷺ then sat on the back of his camel. فَاسْتَقْبَلَ الْقِبْلَةَٰ and then he turned the camel in the direction of the qibla, the direction of the prayer. فَدْعَى Azza wa wa wahadahu. Then the Prophet wasallam, he started to make dua. So he prayed Fajr and Muzdalifah and then he engaged in supplication. He started to make dua and supplicate to Allah. And along with that he praised and glorified Allah. One of the things is narrated that the Prophet ﷺ said at these kinds of instances was because it specifically mentions Kabbarahu wa له له Another thing that is narrated the Prophet said at this particular juncture was he said, So in different ways he praised and glorified God and of course he engaged in dua and supplication. حَتَّى فَلَمْ يَزَلْ وَاقِفًا حَتَّى asfara jiddan. The Prophet ﷺ then stayed there facing towards the Qibla on the back of his camel. And he continued to make dua for quite some time until it started to become very bright. It started to become very bright. And what that basically means is that the time of Fajr did not end yet, but it got very close to ending. But then the Prophet ﷺ he said something, uh, or rather, he said something that is also narrated that Umar bin Al Khattab, radiAllahu anhu there's a hadith in Bukhari, in which Amr bin Maymun, one of the Tabi'un, he says that I performed Hajj during the Khilafa under the guidance and the leadership of Umar bin Al Khattab, Anhu, and he said that. عُمَر رضي الله تعالى عنه صلى بجمعٍ subha He prayed Salatul Fajr at the place of Muzdalifah, ثم وقف. Then he stayed there and he stopped for some time and he made dua. Then Umar bin al-Khattab الله تعالى anhu, he said, إن, المشركون, إِنَّ الْمُشْرِكِينَ كَانُوا لَا يُفِيدُونَ حَتَّى Tatlu الشَّمْسُ That the mushrikeen, they would not leave Muzdalifah until the sun had fully risen. The mushrikeen, would not leave, the mushrikeen would not leave the place of muzdalifa until the sun had fully risen. So they would stay there for that time. However, the Umar bin Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, وَإِنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ أَفَادَ قَبْلَ أَن That the Prophet ﷺ would leave the place of muzdalifa before the sun would fully rise. He would leave Muzdalifah before the sun had fully risen. So the Prophet ﷺ broke tradition with the Mushrikun, how the Mushrikun used to do it. The Prophet ﷺ broke tradition with that and he basically re-established the way that the, the, the way the Muzdalifah was supposed to be observed at that particular time. And that is, pray Fajr there, make some dua, do some dhikr, and then proceed on, and leave before the sun fully rises. So that's what the Prophet ﷺ observed. However, the next thing that I wanted to highlight is, in the hadith of Bukhari, Abdullah bin Abbas, radiyallahu ta'ala Anhumah. He narrates that when, as we had talked about this previously, when the Prophet ﷺ went from Arafat to Muzdalifah, when he traveled from Arafat to Muzdalifah, he was on the back of his camel, Al-Qaswa. He had Usama bin Zayd riding behind him. When the Prophet ﷺ left Muzdalifah to go back to Mina, the Prophet ﷺ had fadl, bin Abbas riding behind him. What that tells you is a couple of things that I wanted to highlight here. Number one, the Prophet ﷺ did not travel alone. But the Prophet ﷺ made sure that he was always giving someone a ride. And not that they couldn't have provided another extra camel. At the behest, at the request of the Prophet ﷺ, that was completely doable. They totally could have gotten another camel and given a ride at that time. So, as I was saying, um, that the Prophet ﷺ gave from Arafat to Muzdalifah, he had Usama bin Zaid riding with him. When he went from Muzdalifah back to Mina, he had um, Fadl bin Abbas riding with him. We learn a few things from this particular uh, moment from the life of the Prophet A few things. The first thing I wanted to highlight that we learned from that is, as I was saying, the Prophet وسلم, he always sure he always made sure that he was giving someone a ride. This is Muhammad ﷺ. True, in early Islam, there was just a lack of resources. They didn't maybe have enough transportation. This is not that moment. This is Hajjatul al-Wida. All of Central Arabia is in the fold of Islam. There would have been more than enough transportation that was available. However, the Prophet ﷺ, he almost, the Prophet ﷺ by his own example, through his own example, he's illustrating, he's demonstrating that always try to give someone else a ride. Always try to share resources For and and having this kind of a mindset, this kind of a mentality, this kind of a culture in the community. Because there might come a moment when we have a lack of resources. And then imagine I'm driving my own car, I'm one person in a car with three empty seats, four empty seats, and I just drive by people walking on the street. right? And we see that happen all the time because there's not that kind of a communal Mindset. And so the Prophet was always leading by example, and the Prophet illustrated, give someone a ride. Share your resources. That's why the Prophet very beautifully says, Ta'amul Wahidi Ta'amul Food for one is actually enough for two, and food for two is actually enough for four. Right? And so that's the first thing the Prophet illustrates here. The second thing the Prophet ﷺ is teaching us as well, particularly here, is that he gave one person a ride from Arafat to Muzdalifah, he's giving another person a ride from Muzdalifah to Mina, And this, for lack of a better expression, is kind of the idea of kind of spreading the love. right? The Prophet ﷺ made sure that he was just using that as an opportunity to touch base and check on different, different people. The third thing that we see from this is both people the Prophet ﷺ gave a right to Usama ibn Zayd and Fadl ibn Abbas are younger people. They're young people. And you see the Prophet ﷺ always had this focus from the very get-go that the Prophet ﷺ gave a lot of time, a lot of attention, focused on quite an extent in regards to younger people. Right? That at some point you know, the rhetoric that we have, it, it, it has to be implemented. It has to become, you know, as you know, the old adage goes, putting your money where your mouth is, right? We talk about the youth, we talk about the children, we talk about the future generations. But at what point do we actually bring that to fruition? And the Prophet ﷺ always paid this kind of special attention and gave time and gave his attention to younger people right and this is also just as a side, you know side note in regards to this same point this is the succession planning of the prophet sallallahu right this deen is just not of course this deen will be preserved but meaning that the guarantee that this deen will pass on to our future generations that part is not guaranteed again very carefully the fact that the religion, the deen will carry on, that is guaranteed. wa inna lahu <laughs> la hafidu. But the fact that it will carry on to our children, that's not guaranteed. Right? The famous old expression that, right, uh, the, 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 the son of a doctor is not a doctor, the son of an alim is not an alim. It's not guaranteed. Doesn't work that way. Right? And so that, Is going to take a specific focus and effort. And if we don't focus on that and we neglect that, either, God forbid, our future generations won't care. Or number two, may Allah protect us all, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could just deem us not worthy. You turn your backs, that's okay. Allah will replace you with another people. And then they won't be like you, they won't take it for granted. So you see the Prophet wasallam focusing on these future generations. And the last thing I wanted to also kind of emphasize here at this particular point is that the Prophet the he always shared his ride, his food, his resources with people. The Prophet made it different, different people, thereby kind of spreading the attention. They were younger people. And then the last point that is very important to note, they were young people who were from the family of the Prophet The reason why I mentioned that is, while yes, the Prophet would share and give love to and pay attention to, you know, Everybody, and all young people. But there is a specific point in noting the fact that they were from his family. The reason why I mention that is that because the rights of one's family, the rights of the people of one's own home and family, have more of a right on that person than other people do. right. بَعْضُهُمْ أَوْلَى That even within the family there are people who have more rights than others do. That's a reality. So you see that the Prophet with being so busy, so preoccupied, having so much on his plate, having so much to deal with, that the Prophet might not have had enough as much time or been able to pay the kind of attention that he wanted to, maybe to the young people of his own family, his younger cousins and you know, so on and so forth. So the Prophet ﷺ is utilizing this as an opportunity to be able to focus on them and pay some attention to them and be able to ask them and check on them, how are things going with you? One of the very beautiful narrations of the Prophet ﷺ is with Abdullah ibn Abbas رضي الله تعالى عنهما, where the Prophet ﷺ says, يَغُلَامِ inni u'allimuka كَلِمَاتٍ He says, listen son, I'd like to talk to you about a few things. And then he proceeds to give him some advice. Now, moving on from this particular point, the Prophet ﷺ goes from Muzdalifa back to Mina. And as he's traveling, from Arafat to Muzdalifa, Usama was riding behind him. From Muzdalifa to Mina, Fadl is riding behind him. And in both cases, in both instances, the Prophet ﷺ, they both note about the Prophet ﷺ, that he... Um, continued to say the talbiyah he continued to say labaik allahumma labaik all throughout the journey while he was writing, he continued to say the labaik he continued to say labaik allahumma labbaik, the talbiyah all throughout that process and the prophet sallallahu did not stop saying labaik allahumma labbaik, until he cast the first pebble in the direction of that major pillar at the place of Mina. Where the three pillars are, the three shaitans that we pelt, that we throw the pebbles at, the only the largest one is pelted on the day of the 10th of and he, the hijjah And the moment that he cast the first pebble, the first stone, he stopped staying the talbiyah at that particular juncture. And that's exactly what we're gonna talk about now. The next thing the Prophet ﷺ I actually I just wanted to mention one particular thing before I move forward. The Prophet ﷺ, he shared he taught us how to perform the hajj. Right? He said, Hudu anni manasiqakum, hudu minni manasikakum, learn how to do hajj from me. La Ali La Ahudju Bahda Amihada. Right, that I will not do Hajj with y'all possibly after this year, and that was actually the case. That was the truth. That's exactly what happened. So, the Prophet ﷺ taught us. He said, "Hadal wa Arafa kulluha mouqaf. He said, "You stand at the place of Arafa, and all of the area of Arafa is a place where you can stand and make du'a." He said, "Then hadal Mawqaf wa kulluha mouqaf. He said, Muzdalifa, you spend the night, and all of Muzdalifa is an area where you can spend that night. Then he said about Mina. manhar wa Mina Kulluha Manhar. Mina is the place you go on the tenth and you will make a sacrifice. When he was teaching this as they were go about to go from Muzdalifa to Mina, a young woman who was from the tribe of Khath'am Al she came to the Prophet ﷺ and she asked him a question. And this question that she asked the Prophet ﷺ actually is a very important technical issue about hajj. She said, "Inna abi kabirun qad She said that my father, he is a very, very elderly man. He is to the point where he really cannot actually do much at all. وَقَدْ أَدْرَكَتْهُ اللَّهِ فِي But right before he became so ill, he had the financial means, and he had the physical capacity to be able to perform the hajj. فَهَلْ عَنْهُ عَنْهُ So in the future, can I basically perform a hajj on his behalf? حَجُّ Badal. Can I perform a hajj on his behalf? And the Prophet ﷺ said, "Na'am, faaddi an abik." Na'am, faaddi an abiki. He said, "Yes, perform the hajj on behalf of your father." He gave her the permission to do so, and in fact, emphasized her it upon her, saying, "This is good." So we learn a very important thing that someone is able to, particularly children, particularly family members, are able to do a Hajj on behalf of elderly parents or elderly grandparents or family members, so on and so forth. That's a very important issue we learn from that. But like I said, that's more of a technical fiqh issue that I don't want to get into too much details in regards to here. We, we do Hajj seminars and things like that. When the season comes around, we'll talk more about that at that time. But aside from that particular benefit of knowing that that is something that is permissible, there's another element of the story that is very interesting. And this is going to touch on something very real, very practical. But at the same time, somewhat of a delicate topic. But it's still something, I think it highlights something very important about the methodology, the philosophy, the approach of the Prophet وسلم. وَلَوَّا al-Fadl. This young woman from Khath'am was asking the Prophet ﷺ these questions, and while he was the Prophet ﷺ was answering, she was asking these questions while he was answering her questions. Fadl, remember we talked about, he was riding behind the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ, while he was answering the question, he turned Fadl's head decide he turned Fadl's head to the side and he continued talking afterwards Fadl's father Fadl bin Abbas he's the cousin of the Prophet Sallallahu his father who is the uncle of the Prophet Sallallahu Abbas he wasn't objecting but every single thing the Prophet Sallallahu would do they were very curious so they would ask, so they could learn. And sometimes they would say that, رَأَيْنَاكَ تَفْعَلُ مَا كُنَّا رَأَيْنَاكَ تَفْعَلُهُ We saw you doing something, we've never seen you do it before, please explain. Like the famous hadith where the Prophet was ascending the mimbar. He was ascending the mimbar, and the Prophet ascended one step, and he paused and he said, Amin. Then he ascended a second step, and he paused and he, paused and he said, Amin. Then he ascended a third step and he paused and he said, "Amin." And the sahaba said, Ya Rasulullah, we never saw you do this before. Please explain. So similarly here, the Prophet is having a conversation with somebody. Ab Fadal, his cousin, is sitting behind him. And while he's talking, he turns his head to the side and continues talking. Now, Abbas comes up to him afterwards and he says, Ya Rasulullah, لِمَا waita عُنُقَ إِبْنِ And he says it with respect. Because he says, he doesn't say, he says, O Messenger of God, please inform me as to the wisdom of why you turned the head of your cousin. You see, there's a lot of adab in that question. He didn't say, why'd you turn my son's head? That sounds defensive. That sounds confrontational. Why'd you do that? No, but rather he said, he's your cousin. Ya Rasulullah. But I, so that's why he's asking the wisdom, so I can learn. Why did you turn his head? The Prophet ﷺ said, I saw the confluence of two very volatile elements. I saw a situation. The situation was that there was a young woman asking a question, and a, there was a young man who was sitting right next to the Prophet صلى الله The Prophet صلى knowing that young man, being his cousin, he said that I, fa- I found in another narration, he elaborates, that I saw Fadal staring at her. Like I felt that Fadal was, you know, kind of maybe, you know, being enticed by the situation. His eyes were starting to wander. He was starting to stare, gawk, whatever you want to call it. And not in a bad or, you know, not, not in a very, you know, inappropriate way, like where to, 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 to cast aspersions on Fadl bin Abbas, because he is the Sahabi of the Prophet Wasallam. he is Minal al Bayt. We're not saying he was doing something really vile. He was doing what any young man, Or a young woman When maybe around each other's company What naturally would occur He felt You know, intrigued By this young woman And he started to physically demonstrate Some interest in this young woman So the Prophet ﷺ said In order to Kind of Create Some, you know, kind of remind everyone To be appropriate And to be you know, conscious of the situation, I turned his head. And what we see here, like I said, it's a bit of a delicate topic obviously, nevertheless it's very important. Because we learn a few things here. Number one, we learn that even at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, even the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, and the family members of the Prophet ﷺ, during the days of Hajj, human beings are still human beings. Temptations are still temptations. Desires exist within every person. And number two, what we also see here is how the Prophet ﷺ did not necessarily express concern about the fact that Fadl might be interested in this young woman and might want to inquire about her. Or this young woman might be interested in Fadl and want to inquire about him. He more so is concerned about making sure that things don't proceed in the incorrect manner or fashion. But if things proceed, they proceed. There's a practicality to how the Prophet approaches spirituality. This is why I often like to talk about practical spirituality. Because impractical spirituality would entertain the idea or the notion that. Young men and young women should become so pious that they don't even think about the other. But that's not realistic and that's not practical. Oh, you should become so pious, you never feel tempted by anything. That's not realistic. That's not how human beings work. However, the Prophet ﷺ understands, yes, there will be this kind of temptation or interest. But then thirdly, We also see that the Prophet utilizes his role as a big brother, as a mentor, as a teacher to correct behavior where he feels it needs correcting. And that's something else that's very important. We cannot forget how necessary it is. Not for, first of all, we cannot forget our responsibility when we find ourselves in that role, whether as big brothers, big sisters, as mothers and fathers, as teachers. We have to remember our responsibility. And number two, what we also have to understand is that young people need, forget about what they want or don't want, because sometimes they just don't know what's good for them. But young people need a sense of guidance and direction. They crave it, they need it. And so the Prophet is providing that. And one other very profound benefit that we derive from this is that the Prophet is able to see the situation happening. He's able to address it. He's able to even kind of personally be able to turn Fadl's face aside. And he's able to do all of that because Fadl is sitting on the animal right behind him. He has the relationship where he can do that. What we want to do a lot of times is, we want to tell the youths everything that is wrong with them. How much time, how much energy, how much have we invested into them, with them? And I, I understand Being a parent to myself, y'all getting to see some of that in action here today, but being a parent myself, nobody sacrifices more than parents do for children. But if I may, very humbly, and I say this reminding myself, I say this to myself, that at the same time, especially when our children start to get a little bit older, when they start to become teenagers and beyond, if the only extent, the the, the entire extent of our conversation with our children is telling them what to do, what not to do, reprimanding them, yelling at them, then at that particular time, we really don't have the kind of capacity, we don't have the kind of capital that needs to be built up and developed in order to be able to advise them when the time for advice is necessary. Some parents might feel, oh, I, I spend a lot of time with my kids. No, you spend a lot of time yelling at your kids. I, and again, please forgive me, some parents might, you know, be offended at the notion, but listen, we, this is, I'm, I'm talking to myself here, I'm reminding myself. I talk to my kids a lot about what? It's not about the quantity of your conversation, it's about the quality of your communication. It's not about the quantity of words coming out of your mouth in their direction. Did you pick up your clothes? Did you clean your room? Did you clean out your bag? Did you do your homework? Did you finish your Qur'an? Did you do this, do that, go eat, go to sleep, go brush your teeth, go do this, pick up that, do that. Oh, you just said a lot of words. But that's not what's called quality communication. And we have to ask ourselves that. We have to really genuinely. The Prophet invested time. He's giving Fadal a ride. And they're probably talking. Right? They're conversing. They're having quality experiences with one another. And then when the opportunity, the moment arises, where the Prophet sees something that could be problematic, The Prophet ﷺ is able to address it by turning his head to the side. And Fadl does not take it. Of course it's a messenger of Allah, so nobody ever takes anything from him the wrong way. But he's still setting an example for us. Try that. Try having a relationship with someone. Actually being there for them, talking to them, spending time with them. And then being able to sit them down and be like, You shouldn't do that, that's not right. And then see how they receive it from you. See how they take it from you. And that I felt was a really powerful moment from the Hajj. It literally happened during Hajj. And I just thought it was so profoundly beautiful. And this example the Prophet said. Now when they arrive back at Mina, like I said, they go throw seven pebbles at the largest of the pillars. I wanted to, and I'll conclude with this, just talk very briefly, because I had alluded to it earlier. The Prophet ﷺ, he, um, uh, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud رضي الله تعالى عنه says, رَمَقْتُ النَّبِيَةً صَلَّىٰ أَلَيْهِ سَلَمْ فَلَمْ يُزَلْ يُلَبِّي حَتَّى رَمَى جَمْرَةَ الْعَقَبَةِ بِأَوَّلِ حَزَادٍ He says, I kept watching the Prophet ﷺ was something very beautiful, Sahaba, they would study everything he did. And he said that when the Prophet ﷺ got to Mina, and he got to the biggest of the three shaitans, the three pillars, and he got to the biggest one, when he, he was saying, labaik labaik لَبَّيْكَ sharika لَبَّيْكَ labaik And when he threw the first one, then after that he did not say labaik anymore. That was the end of the labaik Alright? As I mentioned previously, the Prophet ﷺ, he gathered his pebbles... And similarly on the next three days he would also need pebbles for each of the three pillars, seven each. He gathered all of his pebbles at the place of Musalifa. That is the sunnah, but if you're not able to do it there, you can get pebbles from there at Mina. And no, the pebbles are not like water that once they've been used, they can't be used again. There's nothing like that, right? So a lot of times, but again, those are fiqh issues. I'll leave them for a different discussion. But the Prophet ﷺ gathered his pebbles from the place of Mustalifa. However, something very interesting the Prophet ﷺ said at this particular time. The Prophet ﷺ, when he was gathering pebbles, he showed the Sahaba. How small the pebbles were, and they were size of like chickpeas. So there's tiny little pebbles. And when they got to the place of Mina where they were tossing the pebbles, the Prophet said very carefully and very gently toss the pebbles. And he said, Ya Ayyu nas, la yaqtul ba'dukum ba'adah. He said, Don't murder each other at Mina. Don't kill each other at Mina. He said, He said, when you throw the pebbles at the pillar, then throw pebbles no bigger than the size of chickpeas. Like, don't show up there with a brick, right? And then load up and try to throw a brick 80 miles per hour. Don't do that. You'll kill somebody. That's not okay. Similarly, the Prophet ﷺ, when it came to the throwing of pebbles, the Prophet ﷺ also when he picked up the pebbles of Muzalifa, he started walking around Muzalifa and he, started, he was holding the pebbles and he was showing people "Bi bi So beautiful the character of the Prophet. He's walking around Muzalifa showing people like this, like this, like this guys, like this, like this. He's helping everybody. And then he said, Wa iyakum al Don't become excessive. Don't be extreme. Fainama ahlaka man كَانَ kum al al الدِّينِ Extremism within the religion actually destroyed the people that came before you. Don't commit that critical error. And the last thing I'll mention here is Umm Umul husayn Rabbi Allah anha, she says, and so powerful how she says this in the hadith of Sahih Muslim. She says, "Hajjaj tu ma' Rasulai salallahi sallam Hajjat al wida." I did Hajj with the Prophet salallahu sallam. She's so proud of this, so grateful. I did Hajj with the Prophet salallahu sallam. And she says what she saw, and then she says, "Hajjaj tu ma' Rasulai salallahu sallam Hajjat al wida." For rai Usama ta wa Bilal when the Prophet ﷺ was go walking in Mina to go throw the pebbles at the pillar, at the Shaitan, at the jamra, she says that the Prophet ﷺ was actually riding this camel. And I saw Usama and Bilal رضي الله تعالى عنهما, were with him. I saw that one of them, Usama Usama'in Bilal, one of them was walking in front, holding the rope of the camel of the Prophet ﷺ, walking the camel, and the second one was sitting behind him, and while sitting behind him, he had a shawl, and he was holding it over the head of the Prophet ﷺ, like an umbrella. Imagine someone sitting behind him, holding an umbrella over his head, so that it, the, the sunlight would not directly hit him. The sahaba loved the Prophet ﷺ so much. And it just it always blows me away to just imagine that moment and that scene. And how that mission, that vision of the Prophet ﷺ came to fruition at this beautiful moment. Where more than 120,000 people are going to go do the rammi, to go throw the pebbles. And the Prophet ﷺ is walking with them and everyone saying at the top of their lungs, لَبَّيْكَ اللَّهُمَّ لَبَّيْكَ and you have Usama holding the rope of the animal or, or, and or Bilal sitting on the back of the camel holding like a shawl, a covering over his head. It's just such a beautiful moment. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send his peace and blessings upon the Prophet And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with the companions of the Prophet And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all an invitation to Hajj and to his house. And may Allah grant us all the ability to practice everything that's been said and heard. Subhanallah bihamdihi. subhanakallah bihamdik. nashhadu an ilaha illa anta, nasagfiruq wa